Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through his word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now it's time to listen to this week's message. Well, good morning. If uh, you didn't receive a message card when you came in, you can raise your hand right quick and somebody can help you in the back. But uh, this is also available on version. And uh, started a brand new series this morning called Hebrews, Christ is Better. Everybody say Hebrews. I told them in the early gathering, God loves coffee because Hebrews, right? You give me a, give me a, show me compassion. All right, just show me compassion. I know. That's as corny as it gets. But Hebrews, Christ is better and Christ indeed is better, isn't he? We're going to see today that Christ in chapter 1 is better than the angels, but he's better than the Old Testament priests, the order of Melchizedek. He's better than the Old Covenant. He's better than the list of do's and don'ts. And so we're going to talk about that today. I'm excited to share this message with you. just want to say how grateful I am, as I did in our early gathering, for the facelift that we received in this room this week. I think it looks really good, and I want to honor those who did uh, had a part of that. Zach Parsons did a great job, and King and Joshua, uh, uh, let's see, Casey was a part of that group, uh, Stephen Schneider was a part of that group, and so Henry Sardi was a part of that group, so they just did a great job. Don't you think it looks good? I think it looks really, really good, so yeah, just honor them. I'm excited to share this message with you. I think, um, I think it's going to be good. I think it's going to be uh, a time where you're able to be responsive, right? Because an unresponsive church is a dead church, but we're not dead, are we? We are alive. We're full of life. We're young in spirit. We're young in heart, all right? Hebrews chapter one, I want to start there. I'm going to begin reading in verse one. I want to read from the New King James Version today. Uh, Hebrews chapter one, beginning verse one. God, he said, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets. He's speaking of the prophets, that section of the Old Testament. He said, has in these last days, which I always find a little bit convicting because this is written 66 AD, and if the last days is 66 AD, what kind of days are we living in 2017? In the last days, he spoke to us by his son, whom he, that is the father, has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, through Jesus. Continue on, who being the brightness of his glory. I love that. That means that he is the radiance of the essence of God. Jesus is the radiance of God's very essence and the express image of his person, which is to say that Jesus is God's exact representation. He is the representation of God. Isn't that amazing? Express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. You can even study secular atheists and they say that the earth should not exist on a 23.5 degree axis but we are tilted at 23.5 degrees in fact the 23.5 enables us to have four seasons if it was 24 the gravity of the ocean should send it over and we wouldn't have four seasons so even atheists don't understand how something can be at 23.5 because all things are upheld by the word of his power and if he can uphold the universe with his word surely he can uphold your 75 years with his word 85 years, 95, whatever it is. He, he upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had by himself, that's Jesus, purged our sins. I'm grateful for that. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He continues on, verse 5, 4. Having become so much better. Everybody say better. Christ is better. He's so much better than the angels as he has by inheritance. That's Christ obtained a more excellent name. 
than they. I want to go to one other scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Jesus' glory is the topic of our conversation today. And I would just say 2 Corinthians 3 and 4 are the most glory-packed passages in all of Scripture. Anytime you approach the subject of glory, it would behoove you to go to 2 Corinthians 3 and 4 because there you will be inundated with the glory of God. You'll be taught the glory of God in these passages more than any other. I'm excited today because we're going to discover that the glory of God is actually mankind's only hope. That is to say God's glory is our only hope in this life. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, I'm going to begin reading in verse 4. He says, And we have such trust through Christ towards God. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiencies from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant. Not of the letter, that's the law, but of the Spirit. The new covenant is the ministry of the Spirit, he says. Continue on in verse 8. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. But if the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones, that's what? The law, that's the Moses, Ten Commandments, graven stones. He was glorious, that was glorious, so that the children of Israel couldn't even look at the face of Moses because of that glory, of the glory of his countenance, which that glory, old covenant glory, is passing away. It was passing away the moment it touched his face. In fact, he took the veil off many, many hours after he came down. How will the ministry of the Spirit, the ministry of the Spirit, that's the new covenant, folks, be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. You get the point of the passage? It's about glory. Okay? For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. New, T- New Testament. For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. The Holy Spirit remains. Our hope remains. Our glory remains. Jesus remains. Therefore, since we have such hope, do you catch that? The hope of humanity is connected only to glory. There's no hope. There's no glory. There's no hope. He says that we have this hope. We use great boldness of speech, unlike Moses who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away, verse 14. But their minds were blinded, for until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is only taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies still on their hearts. Verse 16, nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is lifted. The veil is taken away. Arro is the Greek word. It's lifted up. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Now I want to speak this last verse, our key verse for today, which coincides with Hebrews chapter 1, verse uh, 18 of 2 Corinthians 3. Here it is. But we all, with unveiled face, remember it was lifted in Christ, Beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as by the Spirit of the Lord. I'd like for you, if you're an underliner, to underline the word mirror in your Bible. If you're an underliner. One other word to underline the word transformed. The mirror and transform. Notice this. Amazing. We're transformed. We're not talking about Optimus Prime here, folks. No, no transformers. We're talking about making a change. We're talking about our lives being different. Our lives being different. Here's my mission for today, and here is my passion, and here's who I want to address today. I want to talk specifically to tired Christians, Christians who are tired. You say, why are they tired? They're tired because 
They have been trying for so long and for so hard to change, but it just doesn't seem to stick. And if you're honest with yourself, in the desire and pursuit of transformation, me addressing today Christians who are tired from trying to change, and what I would like to explain to you today is that the only hope for true what we call lasting transformation is indeed the glory of God. That's the only hope. And if you're here today, in just the outset of this message, you would be willing to admit in the presence of all these sanctified people that there is at least something, we'll say I have something, better yet, a quarter of something that needs to change in your life. Would you just raise your hand and just let me know? Good, good. It's about 80%. That's good. This is working good. Now, to get the other 20% involved, um, I'm going to change the word change to adjustment because it's less dramatic, okay? If you're willing to admit that the one quarter of your life, something needs a slight adjustment, would you please raise your hand? Okay, now we got all 100% involved, all right? Listen, Adjustment's just a euphemism for change. Deal with it. You need to change, all right? I need to change. You need to change. We all need to change. No matter who you are, no matter what your political, religious persuasion is, whether you're pre-Christian, post-Christian, new Christian, not yet Christian, we could really admit today, and we could be honest with ourselves, that in our life, there's something that needs to be changed. And if we're more honest with ourselves... We can admit that in our attempts to change whatever that is, we've gotten pretty exhausted. And most Christians live pretty worn out, pretty exasperated, kind of out of breath. If you could put sound effects to people's spiritual condition, it would be... They're just worn out from trying to change. And it doesn't seem to stick. And that made me really dizzy when I did that. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah, sure, we can experience momentary change. But in almost every case, people revert back to the same situation. And sometimes it even gets worse in the particular area we're trying to reform in our life. And so today I'm excited because we get to discover the power that's available to those of us who put our faith in Jesus to experience true lasting change. True change. I want to preach a message that I'm entitling transformed by glory or transformed by glory. Can you pray with me real quick? Father, I pray we're transformed by glory in Jesus name. Amen. 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 Right now, how many of you in the room, you, um, you like me, the older you get, you start appreciating pretty odd things. You know what I'm saying? Like when you're a kid, you don't appreciate nature very much. Like, you know, my dad would always take me deer hunting. He'd be like, look at this grandiose oak tree right here. See these pin oaks? The deer love the pin oaks early in fall, you know? And I'm like, dad, can we go play video games? You know, can we play Nintendo 64, you know, Sonic the Hedgehog on Sega Genesis? You just, as a kid, you don't really appreciate nature, right? Pastor Chad and I, two summers ago, we went to uh, Yosemite National Park. And when you walk in the park, your, your jaw hits the ground, right? And all day long, you're like this. (laughs) <laughs> you know, it's just like you're just mesmerized. It's just total stunned by creation, right? But when you're a kid, you don't really appreciate it that much, right? It's like, Knox, look at this beautiful, beautiful flower, son. He's like, Dad, let's go play Xbox, you know? It's just the older you get, you, you start appreciating things. I, for me, I, I appreciate architecture in a way that I've never appreciated architecture, okay? How many of y'all been in a big cathedral before? How many of you been in the National Cathedral, Washington, D.C.? Anybody? Several? Okay, cool. Awesome cathedral, right? You go in, you're kind of mesmerized by the murals. There's several presidents. They're even buried underneath the cathedral. And so your, your eyes kind of are moved. I went to Duke University last year for a Duke game, and I'm a huge Duke fan. 
Lord, please, please be with Gonzaga tomorrow night to beat UNC. Anybody but UNC. Anybody but UNC. Anybody, Lord, but UNC win the national championship. I'm a dookie through and through. But when I went into Duke's chapel, I spent like five hours there and then like three hours in the library and like two hours of the game. And I realized I'm getting old, okay? When I go to Duke and I spend my time in the chapel and looking at the architecture and the gargoyles and, and the, 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 the Celtic kind of tradition, it's just mesmerizing to me. I was reading of a story and heard of a story some time ago of, of a cathedral much like this in Europe where several centuries ago the, the architects went into this uh, huge, monstrous, you know, uh, uh, erected this major cathedral that had this huge, lofty ceiling. It was so high that no one could really even see the top. And what the desire of the architects is, is that when people would walk into the cathedral, it would inspire the worshipers. So they got some great artists to get murals and pictures of the Beatitudes and Jesus' Sermon on the Mount and the Christian Constitution and images of our Savior and stations of the cross and all of this way up on the ceiling so that when people got together, they would be inspired by the great worship experience. The only problem was that when they built it, they made it a very narrow building. And so it was too tall for the people to actually grasp what is going on. And so the church members complained because the ceilings were too high. So they went into worship and the builders thought, you know, this is going to foster great worship experience. But, but they, they couldn't figure out the depictions. They were not able to really see what was up on the stay or what up was up on the ceiling. So in order to remedy the problem, they thought, you know what, we'll, we'll, we'll fix this. So the architects come in and they get this huge mirror and they lay it down on the ground of the worship center of the cathedral and they angle it in such a way that it reflects reflects the, the murals and the beautiful images that were on the ceiling. They, 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 were, they were able to admire now what was so far away. It added to the worship experience. And when I heard that story, I thought, what a brilliant illustration an example of who Jesus is. That's, that's who God and what Jesus is. Our God is so high and so lofty. He is so lifted high. He's so magnanimous. He's so exalted in all of the earth. He's so exalted and so powerful. He's an invisible God. He is by definition an awesome God. He inspires all in our lives. And yet through the centuries, humanity has attempted to peer into the glory of God. Humanity for centuries has attempted to try to get a picture, a grasp, a microscopic image of who God is. They've attempted to see, to grasp, to ascertain to his glory. But because he is so high and because he's so lifted up and our thinking is so low and so narrow, just like the cathedral, and our, limit, our living is so limited, man has tried to for centuries grasp the divine until finally one night in Bethlehem, God sent forth his son to split history in half. He split A.D. from B.C. And Jesus came into the earth as the mirror image of God himself. The Bible says in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14 says, and the Word became flesh, and we, here it is, beheld His glory, the one and only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the mirror image of Almighty God. He is the exact representation of God. 2 Corinthians 4 and 4 says, Jesus, the image of the invisible God. Colossians 1.15 says, Jesus, the image of the invisible God. So finally, God said, I know it's difficult for you to see me this high and lifted up in all of my glory. So I'm going to send to you the mirror image of my essence and person, God incarnate, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Now, what riches and what treasures and beauty we have in the person of Jesus. What amazing, amazing riches. 
That's why when Jesus meets the desert housewife of Samaria in John 4, and he looks at her and they're worried. She's worried about where Jews should worship and Samaritans should worship. And should it be on Mount Gerizim or should it be in Jerusalem? You say our fathers and our fathers say this. And Jesus says, listen, humanity can cease all the petty attempts to try to grasp the divine. Listen, you don't need any longer to look anywhere else. You don't have to look to somebody coming after me. I'm now right here. I'm the fulfillment of it all. And you, you're wondering whether God's up there. Is there a divine being up there? I'm here front and sinner. Look at me, peer at me. I am God in the flesh. I'm the exact representation of the very essence of God's nature. And Jesus and his glory is really our only hope for change. It's our only hope for true lasting transformation. Notice the scripture, 2 Corinthians 3.18. I want you to follow with me. He says, we behold as in a mirror. Notice that. Everybody say mirror. Many people conclude that the mirror is just the word, the written word. But I disagree with that interpretation. The mirror here is speaking of the man who is the embodiment of the word. For Jesus is the mirror image of God. For Jesus is God. So the mirror being spoken of is us beholding the glory of God as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord. We're beholding Jesus. Did you know that God's always been like Jesus? We've not always known God was like Jesus, but now we do know God is like Jesus. God's always been like Jesus. The whole Testament is a, what we call progressive unveiling of the fact that God is like Jesus. If you think you know anything about God that's not found in the person of Jesus, you have reason to doubt that. Because if it's not in Jesus, it ain't God. Jesus is the exact representation of God. He is the essence of the very glory of the Lord. That's what the Bible says. So Jesus is God. We behold him as in a mirror. Now notice what happens when we behold him as in a mirror. The Bible says when we behold him, when we behold him, when we worship him, when we sing to him, when we think about him, when we ponder him, when we preach him, when we talk him, when we talk about him, the Bible says something happens to us. We are transformed. We're transformed. Well, I just got to be honest with you, that's counterintuitive for me as a human being. Because too often I forget that I'm a human being and I think I'm a human doing. You know what I'm saying? It's counterintuitive for me to say, you know what? I just look at Jesus the way my brain works. I don't know about yours, but I just conscientious kind of grown up that way. Is if I want to make a change, I got to make it happen. If I'm going to make a change, I got to make the thing happen. If I'm going to have some adjustment in my life, some reforming, reformation, some small, you know, alterations. If something's going to change in my character, if something's going to change in my speech, if something's going to change in my behavior, if something's going to change in my conduct, I got to have a game plan. Once I got a game plan, I got to commit to the game plan. I got to stick to the game plan every day. I got to be discipled and disciplined. The game plan. I got to be committed. I got to have a small group of people around me. It's a small support group. That's a support group that's committed to my furthering, committed to my growth, committed to my expansion. And and there's got to be measurable goals. And we got to get together once a week. And they got to ask me how I'm doing. I got to ask them how they're doing. And we got to talk about what it is that we're doing. And and Second Corinthians three eighteen just says, um, it makes it all too easy. We don't like it. Behold, Jesus. And the Bible says he's the image or mirror of God, and then you change. Well, it can't be that easy, Craig. I mean, I want you to know, as a pastor, I am all for support groups. In fact, one of the four main parts of our entire strategy is connect groups. I am all for connect groups. In fact, you can't really get to know Christ apart from Christian community. So don't miss my message, but listen to me very closely. I think having a game plan is fine. I'll draft up a game plan. I did it this week for two people in our community. Spiritual game plan, a draft plan, a reading plan. I think all of that's good. But listen to me, your support group, your game plan, and your list of do's and don'ts are hollow and empty and worthless if they're not attached and anchored directly 
directly to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the glory of Almighty God. That is to say, every spiritual discipline in our life is worthless and empty and hollow and futile unless it puts us in a place where we behold Jesus in a greater measure. He's the only one who has the ability to change. In fact, the Bible is the only book you ever read that every time you read it, the author is always present. Intrinsic in the very words you read are the power to change you. That's why when friends at Lee, when I was there studying theology, they sometimes come out worse than they were when they went in. I'm like, how in the world does that happen? It happens because they begin to put their hands on God and mar God rather than understanding that when you study God, theology study of God, he can't be grasped finitely and finite minds. So it should also inspire wonder. In other words, the whole purpose of theology is doxology. That means worship. That my theology should lead me to worship him because he's so amazing. And if I get to a place where I put my hands on him and figured him out because I've taken three years of classes, we're in a bad, bad situation, right? And you come out wrong on the other side because now theologically you've, you've, you've somehow grasped God or got him in well-defined terms. No, folks, that's not the reality. Theology, the study of God, the reason and it changes you is because that's the only subject you can study whereby the subject has power to change you. Medicine can't change me. Accounting can't change me. But God can change me. God can transform me from the inside out. Our only hope for true change is Jesus and seeing him in all his glory. I don't know if you're like me. But you hear a message like this and you think, you know what, that makes for a good sermon, but I'm not really, it doesn't make really for a great Monday morning at my everyday job and my everyday life. That's probably good for you pastors, but, but you know, me, lives an everyday life, I go to church, because if we're honest, here's what we do, we go to church, we hear a sermon, sometimes we cry, we're inspired, but, but, but you don't say this, but you really believe it has no validity on your reality, it's just another Sunday morning. It's not going to change, because you've been living the way you've been living for so long. So you've bought into life from the pit of hell that it's not really valid. So, so what I want to do is I want to challenge that thought process by challenging or opening up the, the reality of the context in which Paul's writing. If you're with us last week, I talked a little bit about Corinth, but you got to understand, Paul is writing to Corinth. This is the most depraved, supersexual city on the planet, really. Sexually charged culture. I mean, some of you think you've been to a bad city on planet Earth. No, you ain't been nowhere until you've been to Corinth. Corinth. Was, a, was the most prominent city in its entire region, but it was the most godless. And when I say godless, I don't mean a lack of gods. I mean it had too many false gods. You, you, there have been archaeologists that have gone and done diggings there, and they've discovered tons of temples that have been um, to, uh, erected to so many different deities. Corinth was growing because there was every form of religion and worship. That's why people flocked to it. So it wasn't just Christians. It was all forms of religion, all forms of worship. So that's why the city grew in a very pluralistic society. But its most prominent goddess was a goddess named Aphrodite. Aphrodite was a goddess of love and sexuality. And upon further research, you'll discover that, that Corinth and the Corinthians were so infested by her sexual fangs, if you will. They were so infested by it that, that their sex was so perverted. I can't tell you what things they did. It was, it, was, it was, I mean, no way in a public setting. You just Google it. It's unbelievable the things they did. In fact, you add injury to insult. Their ministers were prostitutes. The, the temple of Aphrodite had a thousand ministers, and they were prostitutes. So when you went in to receive from the Lord, to receive from a God, to receive from Aphrodite, you, you were involved in, in sexual perversion. This was a major, major issue. And these prostitutes made a very handsome living. So this was, if I could say it, a horrific place to live if you desired to be holy. 
A horrific place to live if you're trying to live pure. You think billboards are bad these days? You think Victoria's Secrets is bad? You cover up your kids' eyes when you walk through the mall? You ain't seen nothing. You think public TV is raunchy today in 21st century? You ain't been to Corinth or walked the streets of Corinth. It was bad. And it's to these people that Paul writes about transformation. That gives me hope, folks. Now, if Paul is going to write to people in a depraved generation, he ain't going to write to them cute little words that make for good sermons. He ain't going to write 20, 140 character, you know, tweets that make good for social media but don't transform Monday mornings. He ain't going to do that. He ain't going to make Instagram stories that are cool for inspirational moments but don't transform lives. No. What he's going to do, he's going to cut to the chase and he's going to give them what causes true transformation. This alone will transform your life. Some stats say it's crazy levels, but Cherokee County right now where we live is is about 550,000 people. And this morning, about 90 plus percent are unchurched. So even in the Bible Belt, less than 10% of our community goes to Christ or, or, or knows Christ or, for that matter, is actively involved in a local congregation. And, and to me, I, I just see that we live in a post-Christian society. We do, folks. I talk to people even in our own Bible Belt out in our community, and they have, families have no idea of the gospel. They have no recollection or understanding of Jesus and church and the work of the gospel. They have no understanding of who Jesus Christ. And it, it just seems like to me, we really need some hints, maybe. Maybe we need some hints of how to live pure and how to live transformed lives in the midst of a depraved culture. And I just wonder if the letter of Hebrews and the letter of 2 Corinthians might just be exactly what the doctor ordered. Because this is Paul writing to a culture much like ours. He says, there's only one way to be transformed, friend. Oh, sure, you can have your temporary commitment and planning and goal setting and list of do's and don'ts. You can make what we call momentary temporal changes, but you know the truth. Eventually, you go back to it. It's just like going to the chiropractor, right? You go to the chiropractor, your, bo- your back's out of line, they pop your back in line, you go live life, and it pops back out. And you go to the chiropractor again, they pop it back in. And, and then you go live a few more weeks, and it pops back out, and then you pop it back in, right? And you just do this. And most people, that's their spiritual life, their spiritual rhythm. And sometimes, it never really improves. In some cases, it only actually gets worse. It's like the lady who decides, I'm going to stop gossiping. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm done gossiping. I'm done backbiting. Here's the deal. Here's what I'm going to do. Every time I gossip, I'm going to put Tabasco sauce on my tongue. That'll stop me. Every time I have a dirty mouth or gossip, I'm putting Tabasco sauce on my taste buds. Only to discover in a few weeks, she starts to really like Tabasco sauce. And now she likes gossiping and Tabasco sauce. Come on, this is us as humans, right? Have you ever done this before? Is it only me that was very unsuccessful in trying to change your behavior by trying to change your behavior? Is there anybody? Did anybody get a zero goose egg chance of success? Okay, I'm just making sure I'm speaking to the right people. We are human beings, and this is what we do. Totally powerless. Our efforts almost always leave us fruitless. And they're cute. I think God in heaven sometimes like, that's a good try, guys. And I think he thinks they're cute. I don't really want to rock your theological boat, but maybe it rocks your theological boat because the essence of my message this morning is this. It's very counterintuitive. The essence of my message today as your pastor is, um, will you please stop trying to change? Now, some of you are going to get in your car today. You're spouting to say, did, did what Pastor Craig make sense to you? I, I, I lost him there. I, I, don't, I, I don't know what happened there. Did he say don't? Attempt to, that's exactly what I said. Stop trying to change. Because some of you, your own worst enemy. 
You're your own worst enemy. What do you mean, Craig? You know why you can't change? It's because all you think about is change. And change, thinking about change, doesn't have the power intrinsically to change you. You can't change when all you think about is change. In other words, when all you think about is change, that means all you're thinking about is the bad part of your life that needs improvement. And when you obsess over the bad part of your life that needs improvement, in that there is no power for change. There's no power for reformation. That's why talking about the problem will never fix the problem. I could go further with that in culture and politics, Donald Trump. I could go, but I won't. I'll let you facilitate that comment appropriately. Talking about change and problems won't fix problems. That has no power to fix it. Focusing on the problem in my life, the deficiency in my life, the deficit in my life is not the answer, and it never will be the answer. Will you please, seriously, please do us a favor? Because ever since you've been on this new kick and goal, you've not been as nice to hang out with, friend. Would you do us a favor and just stop trying to change? Have you ever met mean Christians who are trying to improve? You know what I'm talking about? How ironic is this? It's like, would you leave me alone? Trying to work on my attitude. It's like, you're making strides there, buddy. Keep on it. You know, big leaps. You know, you ever meet people like this? I mean, it's just, we're humans. We're just fickle people. Like, we're trying to change, but we're mean while we're trying to change. Scripture says this is how you really change. You behold Jesus. You behold the glory of God. And you're transformed into that same image. Now here's the part I really like. Would you look at, look at verse 18 again with me? The Bible says that we're transformed from the same image from glory to glory. Would you say that? From glory to glory. Come on, say from glory to glory. Now I like that. Here's the description Paul gives to the believer's life. The Christian journey should be one of where your life goes from glory to glory to glory to glory to glory. That should be the rhythm of your life. That should be how I describe your Christian journey, from glory to glory to glory. But what I found in my own journey is oftentimes I go from goal to goal to goal to goal. I go from game plan, from game plan to game plan to game plan. I go from list of do's and don'ts to list of do's and don'ts to that list didn't work, so I'm going to do a New Year's resolution, but that list doesn't work after February 2 to another list to another list to another list to another list. And God says in His Word that our Christian journey should be marked by moving from glory to glory to glory. When Paul said a believer's life should look like I'm going from one understanding of glory to the next 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 understanding of glory to to moving from faith unto faith unto faith again. That's the description of the ever-changing life of a believer is that we never are static. We are always dynamic and any moment we've plateaued we know we're in trouble we should never be static we're always transforming that's why when our culture moves so quickly the church should be okay with that because we're changing all the time and it's going from glory to glory to glory to glory but we love our goal setting right goal setting is so prolific in the western culture do a mission trip over in the eastern world and you talk to them about goal setting or things at the beginning of the year they're like i don't even know what that means we just kind of meet together and we're together and we see jesus in one another and we continue to love one another and but in the western world we're so individualized and we're so prolific in our goal setting and so we know exactly what our time is committed to and we know this 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 we're so 
So prolific in goal setting. And listen, I love goal setting. I'm the guy. I'm not talking out of two sides of my mouth here. I'm the guy that will sit with you and say, you know what? Let's do some goal setting. But your goal setting must be centered and anchored in the glory of God or else it's empty. That is to say your schedule must put you in a place to behold Jesus more frequently. Or else it's impotent. For he and him alone has the power to bring about true transformation. So here's the million dollar question. Okay, Pastor Craig, I got it. I'm following the message. I need to behold Jesus. Keep on beholding Jesus and I'll change. Well, how do I do that? Because one of the questions I get as a pastor is how do I behold the glory of God? Do I close my eyes? Think really long and hard? Turn on some worship music? Close my door in my room? How do you do that? How do you behold the glory of God? It's a great question. Well, here's the good news. The end of the verse tells us he says, we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image, Jesus, from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. How do you transform? By the Holy Spirit. We serve the great three-in-one. He is distinguishable, yet indivisible. He, we serve Father, we serve Son, and we serve Spirit. Jesus, you know what he called the Holy Spirit? He called him a helper. Isn't that an amazing name for God? Yeah. Helper? That's an awesome name for God. You know what else Jesus called the Holy Spirit? He called him a comforter. You know what else he called him? He called him the promise of the Father. So notice the Holy Spirit is the comforter. Notice he's the promise. Notice he's the helper. Notice he's the revealer, Jesus called him. You know the primary function of the Holy Spirit is to show you Jesus. That's what he's most preoccupied with. That's what he's most passionate about. Every time he comes among his people, oh yeah, he lives in us. Of course he does, but he has a desire to come into our worship gatherings. He has a desire to move in corporately. Do you know why God takes the opportunity to move in corporately, the Holy Spirit? Because every time the Holy Spirit comes, he's passionately pursuing an opportunity to show you Jesus. He's passionately pursuing an opportunity to open your mind to see Jesus, for he knows If you'll see Jesus, if we as a community see Jesus, we will never be the same. Some time ago, I took the book of of Mark one evening, and there's 16 chapters, and I read through the whole book. And I wrote down in my journal every encounter with Jesus. And here's what I found out really quickly. There was not one person that encountered Jesus that left the same way. They either got a hardened heart or they got more open to the gospel. But you cannot encounter him and remain the same. Impossible. It's scripturally impossible. So if we're coming to church and we're not changing, we're not beholding him. You cannot be an encounter with Jesus and not leave stunned. You can't do it. It's just not in the scripture. We're beholding him. We're beholding him by the spirit of the Lord. Just one glimpse, just at the sight of Jesus, just one encounter, just one moment can change your life forever. People 10 years down the road, some of y'all, they're going to come to you and say, what happened to you? You changed. You're totally different. What in the world's different with your life? And you can say, you know what? It wasn't a goal setting. It wasn't a list. It wasn't a plan. It wasn't a daily planner. It wasn't a job. It was Jesus coming to me by revelation of the Holy Spirit, and it transformed my paradigm. Come on. How many of y'all know what I'm talking about? When you truly encounter Jesus by the Spirit of the Lord, when all of a sudden it changes your paradigm, it changes the way you think, it changes the way you prioritize, and this my friends is the power that's available to us as believers why am I so passionate about believers at dwelling place being filled with the spirit why was Jesus so passionate about being filled with the spirit why does Paul say be ye filled with the spirit not drunk with wine which leads to dissipation because when you're filled with the spirit you'll be filled with Jesus 
And your life will never be the same. Someone asked me recently, said, Pastor Craig, are you, still, are you still growing in God? Are you still changing? I'm like, are you kidding me? Of course I'm still growing. The more I think about Jesus, the more I become like Jesus. And the more I think about and become like Jesus, the more I want to become even more like Jesus. Yes, I'm still changing. Yes, I'm still growing. I'm going to ask Rachel to come at the keys and the rest of the team in a minute. But I just want to say, at the risk of sounding incredibly spiritual, and, and I'm really not. I'm not trying to sound incredibly spiritual. I'm not incredibly spiritual. But last night, we had some friends over, and we were watching the Final Four, maybe like many of you did, and maybe you didn't. But nonetheless, we did. And we were finishing up the Final Four, and they all left. And so it was late, so I went into my office. And my plan was to set until like 11 to you know, 12 or 12.30 and just review back through my message again and my notes. And, and I did, and it wasn't some supernatural eureka moment, but uh, I was going to try to get in bed. And when I did, man, it's like the Holy Spirit just nudged me instantly. It, was, it wasn't on my own accord. Please understand, this is not my own accord. It was not my prompting. But I had an urge. I had an inclination. I had an appetite, a, a desire to be with Jesus. And listen, I didn't manufacture it. It was just there. I just walked into my house and it hit me. It was just there. Why? Because the Holy Spirit was there and He wants to help me. He wants you. He wants to help you just by the Spirit of the Lord. He just And I wanted to talk to Him. All of a sudden, I turned on my worship music and I'm talking to Him. And I'm laid out on my floor. I'm just in communing with Jesus and just talking with Jesus. And, and no one was forcing me, folks. No one was telling me, open up your Bible and read. No, no. The Holy Spirit was just saying, Craig, let's just meet with Jesus. It's time to meet with Jesus. This is... And that's what's available to us as believers. That's so much better than goal setting to goal setting. Wow, it's so much better than list to list. Like the Holy Spirit wants to come and he wants to build a little table and let you dine with Jesus many times in the day. He, he wants you to behold the Son so that you're transformed. But, but so, so often the areas in our life that are resistant to change is because those areas are resistant to behold Him. They don't really want to look at Him. Because we become what we behold. We're changed into the image of that which we gaze at. Don't settle for living from list to list. That's old covenant, folks. That's old glory. That's Moses' glory that was passing away. But our glory remains because Jesus remains. And the Holy Spirit remains. And the Holy Spirit will reveal Jesus to us so that we can experience change that will truly last. Change that's transforming. Change that really does something from the inside out. I don't know how to say it this morning, church. I just got a simple message for you, but I'm excited because I'm not going to be the same guy next April that I am this April. In April 2018, I'm going to be a different dad. I'm going to be a better dad. I'm going to be a better husband. I'm going to be a better preacher. I'm going to be a better pastor. I'm going to be a better lover. I'm going to be a better listener. I'm going to be a better talker. Why? Because the more I think about Jesus, the more the Holy Spirit changes me. The more the Holy Spirit transforms me. I don't know about you. Have you ever, those that are loving Jesus, followers in the room, have you ever taken an inventory of your life just in the last five years and you look back at who you were five years ago and you say, man, I don't even recognize that person. What has happened? I'll tell you what's happened. We, with unveiled face, as in the glory of the Lord and a mirror of the Lord, we beheld his glory and we're transformed from glory to glory just as by the Spirit of the Lord. I'm excited and I know this sounds really weird. I don't want to make it weird. I'm just excited to meet the new me in five years from now. Anybody know what I'm saying? I'm excited to meet the new me ten years from now. Who what, who knows what God will do in my life and my family? Who knows what God will do in your life and family? I'm just excited to meet the new dwelling place. I'm excited to say, you know what? We're going to mature together. We're going to grow together. We're going to love together. 
together. We're going to look at Jesus together. We're going to behold his face together. And maybe hundreds, if not thousands, will join us in the years to come. I'm just excited. I'm excited because when you behold Jesus, your life is transformed. There's no way to be the same. Some of you ought to just look with some expectation of your five-year-old self in front of you. And you just daily wake up and behold Jesus. And who knows what you'll become in the will of God. I'm just excited to see what God's going to do in you. And I plan to be around for it all. That's my plan. To see Jesus build a community. To develop. To see many people in this city behold His glory. My life and your life should be as simple as this. Going from glory to glory to glory. From one understanding of glory <laughs> to another understanding of glory. And you know, when, when God encounters you, there's a thread in the in the scripture. I call it a twofold thread of encounter because the first thing that happens when you encounter God is you are stunned, right? Like, God's hello in the scripture is fear not. Anytime God says hello, we say hello, we meet somebody, God says fear not. And the reason he does is because every time he moves into the vicinity of humans, they are thrown in a cataleptic state with their faces down, scared to death, stunned. So God's hello is fear not, I'm not going to kill you. I'm not going to kill you. I know you think I'm going to kill you because my holiness is so bright, my radiance and glory is so amazing. But I'm not going to do that. I've come, in fact, Mary, to bring you to great joy. You're going to be pregnant with a son. His name is Jesus. Every time. Fear not. You remember in Isaiah 6, in the year that King Uzziah died? The Bible says, I saw the Lord, Isaiah said, high and what? Lifted up. There it is, loft. In a train of his robe filled the temple, and he begins to describe what it was like to really encounter. I'm talking about true encounter. we got a lot of believers that still, to this day, according to Barnabas, say they've not had a true encounter with the Lord. I'm talking about a true encounter first thing that happens when you encounter God, the first thread is you're stunned. It's hard to breathe. But it doesn't stop there. The the second part of that that thread encounter is that you're seared. We're always seared. You say, Craig, what do you mean? Do you remember when Isaiah said, whoa, it's me. I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among the people of unclean lips. And and the Bible says he saw an angel take a tongue from the altar of God and go grab a coal and he starts flying to Isaiah. Now, we read that in 2020, you know, hindsight vision of New Testament gospel. He, we know he's, we know Isaiah knows that he's about to be cleansed. Yeah, right. Isaiah thinks he's about to be killed. Isaiah thinks he's going to take that, that coal and he's going to burn him out because he's, he's in the presence of an almighty holy God. He thinks he's about to be dead. Woe is me. And the Bible says he comes and touches his lips and says, your sin is purged. And so many people say, you know what? I know I've had an encounter with God because I I recognize my own sinfulness. Oh, yeah, that's only the first part, though. When you recognize your sinfulness, that means you've moved close to him. But when you've encountered him, you don't just recognize your sinfulness. You start making intercession for the people around you that are sinful. He said, I'm a mound of people of unclean lips. You want to know that you really encounter God? It's not that you desire to come together at gatherings and want to just continue to sing praises to God. It's when you go to work and say, Lord, just forgive them. I know they don't know your hope. I know that they're away from you. I know that they don't understand. Lord, just show grace to them. Show mercy to that person. Lord, I want to intercede for that individual. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know the sin that they've done. They don't know the hope of humanity. They don't know the hope of the nations. That's when you've really encountered God. You've been so seared that you recognize your own sinfulness and now begin to intercede for the ones around you that need that grace. That's where true encounter finds fruition. 
And I told the Lord this week as I was just studying through this passage, you know what, may we be a church, may we be a people that this morning can be transformed by that glory. We can behold Jesus. We can sing praises to him who sits on the throne. Our lives can be transformed. Again, thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you'd like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at www.dwellingplacemovement.org.